Our next guest has always done excellent work on the commentary and analyst desk at the UFC, Bellator, ESPN, and now officially taken over for the great Luke Thomas. He's got his own show on Sirius XM, Unlocking the Cage, weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern. Jimmy Smith himself is in the building. Look at that setup. Look at that T-shirt. Look at the great man. Jimmy, how are you today? Fantastic. It's great uh, to, to be on. I just really work with you guys for the intros. Because you really make me sound unbelievably special and awesome. And it, that's really why. I suspect, it has nothing to do with you guys. I suspect that's what most guests do. It's just here for the intros. But uh, with a guy like yourself, Jimmy, it's very easy to sort of put your accolades in there and uh, make you sound great. You do the work for us. Uh, before we break down Colby versus Tyron and obviously Shamea versus Mershart, congratulations, man, on the gig at Sirius. Um, you're one of the good guys in MMA. So genuinely happy to see you there. How's it feel to have your own daily show, man? Oh, God, so awesome. You have no idea. <laughs> it's been like, oh, my God. Sense of relief. Yeah, no, seriously. My my, my boss called me, uh, Marissa Rivas, over at SiriusXM. And, you know, I was on my way out the door, and she called me and, and said, hey, we need to talk. And I went, oh, God, this is either really good or really bad. you got to help me out here. I was just like praying and she's like yeah luke's moving on uh we want you to take over full time the show and and so i was just absolutely thrilled and it's been so fun to do two hours a day talking about mma it's my own show i can do whatever i want i can talk about whatever i want i uh I, i'm not tied to a particular promotion which you know can be a headache sometimes and it's just mm. great to have that it's just awesome yeah. to be working again and she's such a great person to work with i mean one of our favorites in mma and such a talented person that's underrated so very, very exciting to see the big move. And obviously, you know, Luke himself made a great point about how when you take over somebody's show, there's always a bit of that pre previous person's DNA embedded in it. And now, for obvious reasons, the show is no longer called The Luke Thomas Show. It's Unlocking the Cage. But what specifically do you want to do differently in order to sort of embed that Jimmy Smith DNA into this new show? Well, number one is no more Harambe Metal Wednesday because that <laughs> or Thursday, whatever day it was that I hated coming on for Luke. And I had to hear that music all the time. Um, but, you know, t today when we were we were doing something about, about um, you know, uh, will judges, not judges, but referees will have like an instant replay system. Well, uh, Luke never did commentary for a big promotion in terms of like how the production works and what's really going on behind the scenes when it comes to the logistics of getting something like that done. And I have. And so um, Luke comes from the journalism side. So... Whenever he would do something, it was from a journalist's point of view, and I come more from the the analyst broadcaster point of view. So I think just the way I talk about things and the way I discuss things and the, the approach I'm taking is very different from Luke. And I thought Luke was absolutely fantastic, obviously, but I think the way I see things and my background is completely different. I mean, it's like apples and oranges, the way we look at fighting. So uh, that's right off the top. I just communicate very differently than Luke. Mm. it's good it's good to have sort of different things especially you know with the with the new show um but i'm curious because you've been pumping out the interviews lately just heaps and heaps of interviews but obviously like we sort of know you as more of an analyst so what do you prefer doing interviews or doing analyst work i love both of them really um it's awesome especially on like a two-hour show those interviews man they make the time fly because i'm able to interact with somebody else and and get their point of view about everything and it's not me you know, kind of talking to myself for two hours. So I love the interviews breaking everything up. And a lot of these fighters I know already, you know, it's, it's one of the things that uh, my producer finds so much easier. He's like, dude, it's easy to line interviews up for you. Cause everybody already has worked with you at some point somewhere doing mm. something, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's easier because I feel 
more familiarity with them because I've, I've, it wasn't just like I was writing about them. Like I've worked with these people a lot of the time. So that's fun to do, man. So I, I love the analysis and I love interviewing people. So it's, it's, it's those two sides. It's great to do that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Unlike some submission radio interviews where the fighters ask themselves halfway through what the hell they've done with their lives to end up on this program, <laughs> you can see the mutual respect straight away. I mean, in that Al- Alistair Overeem interview, you could see, you know, these are guys that like you and different answers come out when, when guys are ready and have respect for the interviewers, unlike again with submission radio. But anyway, let's talk about the fights this weekend. Because well, they're putting got- up with you, which is totally different, totally yeah. different from tolerating you Charity uh, cases. instead of wanting to be on the show. <laughs> Let's talk about the fights this weekend because we've got Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley coming up. And one thing that we noticed was years ago when Colby initially called out Woodley and claimed to have dominated and broken him down in training and Woodley was champ at the time, it seemed like pure talk. Now looking at Woodley's last few performances and comparing them with Colby's, maybe it doesn't seem so ridiculous at all. I'm just wondering, have you noticed a shift? Have you sort of noticed a shift in Woodley? Um, and have you had that yourself as a fighter where you sort of start off in one area and then as time goes by, you know, you've noticed yourself have a bit of a shift? Well, he's lost 10 rounds in a row. I can't remember clearly a fighter losing 10 rounds in a row without getting finished. He hasn't won one round in two five-round fights. And there were, at least certainly with the um, the Burns fight, there was a 10-8 in there. So I can't remember a guy as good as Tyron Woodley having a slide like that. What would he you- without without getting finished? It's like you know what I mean. Usually when the slide's that bad, you get finished. Like Chuck Liddell just kind of went off a cliff mm. and kept getting finished and finished, finished. Or you know your timing's off, or something like that. But to get dominated like that, where he's losing round after round after round, yeah, there's definitely a shift in Tyron Woodley. He's just not the same guy. What what do you attribute that to? Because like you mentioned, he was great. He was very very good as as the welterweight champion. He was very very good. And then it's almost night and day now. Yeah, a lot of the explosiveness is just gone. It's just – it's hard to explain to people that, that – one of the, the, the best ways I've heard it put is, you know, Kobe's last year as a, as a, a professional basketball player when he, was, when he was playing for the Lakers. Uh, one of my friends who was a commentator for uh, the Celtics, he told me, he goes, the problem is Kobe looks in the mirror and sees Kobe. You see the same person. You're just not reacting the way you used to. You're not syncing them like you used to. You're doing all the same stuff. You're not getting the same results. And it looks like that with Tyron Woodley where I Rashad Evans told me one time, he said, I, in my early fights, I just did stuff. It, you know, it, it worked out. I, I couldn't tell you how I did it. You know, I throw this left hook and it would knock a guy out. I was like, oh my God, I did that. And sure, I had good training partners and good coaching, but it seemed like my body just did it. And then he had a knee injury and he said, I had to think about everything I was doing. And it was a totally different kind of game. And that's how it kind of looks with Tyron Woodley. Like the, that fallback explosiveness, that fallback athleticism, that fallback ability to get it done isn't there. And so he seems hesitant to pull the trigger. He seems like the the automatic wrestling, the automatic striking, the automatic power. Um, he almost has to rethink and retool. And I don't know if he's he's done the work necessarily to do that. And, and I don't know if somebody can. You know, a great example in boxing, Roy Jones Jr., when he went off a cliff, it was kind of like, well, he'd always just been faster than everybody else. He had always just been more creative than everybody else. He'd already always been more dynamic than everybody else. And all of a sudden, he can't do that anymore. How do you fix that? How do you change when, you know, he was never a fundamentals guy. And with Tyron Woodley, a great wrestler, I will admit. But 
not like the most technical boxer in the world. He just had real power and like natural ability and had a lot of speed and, and was naturally explosive. He just wasn't the most technical guy, like a GSP who was really, really technical. We didn't see that from Tyron Woodley. So how do you fix that when your success before wasn't based on anything really technical or tactical? Do you suddenly become a technician and kind of relearn this stuff? I find that hard to believe. I was honestly really surprised he took the fight against Colby Covington. This seems just like the worst fight to have at this point in his career. The worst timing for the worst opponent, it seems like to me. It's interesting with Woodley as well because the narrative for a lot of his career has been, you know, always two Tyrant Woodleys show up. One that, you know, does great and, and gets that winning shot and ends up winning, or one that kind of hangs back and kind of misses the opportunity to get into the fight. And do you believe that that kind of reputation and mindset is a bit harmful to him at this stage where it's, you know, when you, you look in the mirror like Kobe did, you know, he was putting in all these points and doing all this stuff and he knew, you know, all right, maybe I'm not the same basketball player I was because of playing like this now. Whereas a guy like Tyron Woodley will always have that in the back of his mind. You know, sometimes I show up, I do really good. Sometimes I show up, I don't really turn on. And that's just kind of the way I've been my whole career. And maybe it's just that. Could be, but the guys he hasn't performed well against are hard to look good against. Uh, Damian Maya. Uh, Wonder Boy Thompson, these are not guys it's easy to like look great against. You mm. know, they're not guys that, you know, it's it's easy to go out and have a flashy performance against Damian Mike. You're lucky to get out of there with a win. And if you do, you look terrible. Um, Sam Alvey's another one of those guys. Like guys just look terrible against Sam Alvey. It's mm-hmm. just even if they're good fighters, they look so bad against Sam Alvey, even if you win. Um, Elias Theodoro. Even if you beat him, you're just God, it's an ugly fight. I just wish I didn't have to have right but he just brings that out in people i think that was it too that the selection of opponent were guys that were hard to look good against and i would put kamaru usman in that category like it's it's he just is known for ugly grinding fights it's hard to look good against kamaru usman but burns is a dynamic guy really really explosive he'll mix it up with you he'll mix it up on the ground on the feet doesn't really care and tyron woodley was on the defensive the entire time so it could be just a number of of fights and training camps. I've just caught up with him and you wear down quickly in this sport. That could be the case. I hope it's not. I hope against hope that we get a competitive fight out of Tyron Woodley against Colby Covington. Cause Colby Covington is one of those guys. Once again, wins. I don't want to say ugly, but he grinds fighters down. He just wears you out. If something's off, you're going to find out real quickly that's not going to turn back on against Colby Covington. Mm, I'm hoping that the the rivalry in the bad blood does something, it lights a fire under Tyra Woodley, and he just lets the hands go. Otherwise, how do you see him dealing with, you know, the constant pressure, the cardio, and the volume of Colby Covington, which at this point in, in Woodley's career just seems almost nightmarish for a guy who sometimes hangs, you know, towards the, the, the outside uh, of that black line around the, the cage. Um, and also, I'm just wondering, you know, we don't see Woodley wrestle too much, more so defensive wrestling. If Colby does make it a wrestling match, how do you see that factoring against Woodley, who, you know, maybe doesn't want to wrestle because he wants to preserve his cardio? Yeah, it's uh, it's at his best. This is a bad style matchup for Tyron Woodley. Uh, Tyron Woodley at his best when he was champ, knocked out Robbie Lawler and, and had a great fight against Wonderboy Thompson. Of course, it was a draw, but still a great fight. Um, this is still a bad style matchup for him at his best. So you nailed it right on the head where he generally hangs back a lot. He likes to spend time kind of near the fence, which is not a good place to hang out if you're fighting Colby Covington. You have to sting – two things to beat Colby Covington. Number one, you have to stop his takedown, and he'll go for it consistently. You've got to stop that thing. Number two is you have to sting him enough to get him to back off of you. 
And when it came to the Kamaru Usman fight, Usman A was was a good enough wrestler that Colby didn't have the takedown in his back pocket. He couldn't get it anytime he wanted to. That's his that's his go-to rest area, right? He throws a lot of strikes. He did against, against Robbie Lawler. He throws a ton of strikes, but then he would take Robbie down, and that was able to kind of recharge his batteries, and he went back to it and went back to it. Well, against Kamar Usman, he didn't have that takedown. So for the first time in his career, we saw gas issues, especially third and fourth round. We saw him kind of wearing down. He's like, dude, I can't take this guy down. I literally have to throw the entire time, which I don't care who you are. That's tough to do. So that's number one is, is Kamar Usman was able to stop the takedown enough to test the gas of Colby Covington. He didn't get those recharges of being on top. And when they had exchanges, he was able to clip Colby hard enough to make Colby back off a little bit. Now, Diaz, uh, Nick and Nate, are, are both volume guys. There's, they have a similar striking style to Colby Covington. Their chin gets them out of a lot of trouble, right? Because the only way to hurt them is, all right, back them off with a hard shot. Therefore, that'll interrupt the volume. But they just take that shot and keep going. They just eat them. You know, not enough people talk about how the Diaz is. They don't really move their heads. They just get hit and keep going. Hmm. Colby can't really do that. He doesn't really have necessarily the chin to walk through like major punches. That's why he lost to Kamara Usman. I mean, he had taken some shots before. He doesn't have a weak chin. But Tyron Woodley has to, A, stop the takedown, and, B, that right hand that spelled doom for Robbie Lawler and stuff like that, that has to come back somehow. He has to crack Colby Covington hard enough to get him to back off. And we haven't seen that in 10 rounds. So, I mean, can he do it? Sure, he's done it in the past, but I'm a realist, and it's not my job to 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 hope and pray, and you know, it's not it's not my job as an analyst. My job is like, what have you done for me lately? What have we seen recently? Well, we <laughs> have seen as a guy in Tyron Woodley who couldn't stop Gilbert Burns' takedown, who couldn't stop at all Kamaru Usman's takedown, and I would argue Colby Covington's credentials out out to both of those guys when it comes to the takedown. So we have to see a Tyron Woodley we haven't seen in a while against a guy who hates him and is going to keep going for the takedown ad nauseum and knows his game because they train together. Mm. It's a bad combination. Yeah. I think regardless, it's a fascinating fight just to finally see yeah. those two guys actually share a cage after all the talking that's been done for a long time. Um, one of the other fights that has a massive spotlight on it is obviously Hamza Shemaev against Gerald Mershart. What do you think of this uh, this unprecedented double booking that the UFC have done where they've already booked Shemaev a fight against Damian Maia next? I just didn't see the point in that. It, it to me, it it accentuates the negative, right? Which is like, what looking over Gerald, right? Like, okay, then why am I watching this fight, mm. right? Like, as a promoter, you're supposed to say this fight's going to be interesting or competitive or exciting or, or something, right? To say we already have the next one booked is like, okay, well then, wh why am I watching this? Why is this? If, if it's not going to be competitive, what are you doing, right? Mm. So. That, I think, once again, accentuates the negative. Now, Shemaev is a great fighter, and he's exciting, and he could be the next big thing. And that, You can say all those things without booking his next fight, right? You can, you know, you can front load all the promos. You can make this like the Shemaev show. We've seen every promotion in Bellator, UFC, everybody have this, right? Where, where I called fights in Bellator where they didn't have a promo for the other guy mm. at all. They, they just had a video <laughs> on one guy, not the other, right? And so it's almost like, Rousey Nunes. okay. Oh, my God. Like, there's so many where we go, okay, we know the deal. MVP versus a warm body. I, I get it. <laughs> I understand. But it accentuates the negative, right? You're going, well, then why am I watching this guy mop? So At least throw the other guy a bone. At least give me some reason 
to, to, to think this will be competitive. Give me something as a fan. In double booking this, you're, you're almost saying, just overlook this one. Just look past this one. Now, it's a disrespect to Gerald Mearshart. He's going to use that as fuel, hopefully. But it doesn't, like, do much for Shemaev, right? Like, all you're doing is 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 accentuating the fact that this fight is unnecessary. It's unnecessary to the promotion. Why is it necessary for the fan? And so I didn't really get that. I didn't get why they'd make that statement. Mm. Looking at the fight itself, do you think Gerald can shock a lot of people and get the W here? Dude, Shemaev has eight fights. Eight fights. Anything uh, Gerald Milstrad has 44, I think. Mm. Like, are you, I mean, you know, anything, anybody with eight fights can lose. I don't care if you've blown everybody on the first 10 seconds of every fight. Well, then it shows you don't have any gas. If you won every single one by decision, shows you're not a finisher. You just don't have a, you don't have a, a, a volume of work. Anything can happen. You can catch him. Who knows? So yeah, he can. He certainly has the the experience advantage and all this stuff. He can. Um, the idea that the UFC is betting so heavily on somebody who's had eight pro fights, um, you know, it's it's it's. I, I'm not saying it's impossible. He's a talented kid. It's just when you ask me how can he win, a lot of ways can win. We don't. He's he's an unknown quantity. He's not somebody we know that much about. Stay off the mat. Don't let him take you down. Make it about the striking. Make it about, you know, it's only three-round five, but still make it about the final round and see if you can wear this dude down. He hasn't really been through a lot. And he's had back-to-back-to-back camps, which will wear out anybody. I don't care who you are. So, yeah, he can take advantage, especially late. Um, do I think he will? Probably not. I'd bet on Shemaev. It's just the, from, from a marketing standpoint, from a pro- promotion standpoint, it just seems like a really weird choice to book a guy for a fight that you then are telling the fans is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I, I love the honesty, Jimmy. Um, I'm curious, like, it, it's an interesting matchup, right? With me, shot, obviously. I got having... my own show. I can be completely honest about everything now. And that's coming through. That, as <laughs> I'm listening to, to you, I'm like, this is a man anybody, who's not you know? tied to any promotion. Look at him, just say whatever he wants. I love it. Um, I guess with Mershot, you know, he's, he's tied for the most submission wins in the division. Um, so he's obviously a very legitimate threat on the ground. And, and I think the UFC are hoping that Shamayev will be kind of like a Khabib 2.0. But his striking is also very, very good as well. What what are sort of the biggest questions that you have for Shamayev that you hope to be answered uh, after this weekend? Is it is it the distance thing? Can he go the distance and sort of stay strong in the later rounds? Yeah, it's 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 a it's staying staying strong in the later rounds. So he's never been to round three in his whole career. That's that's number one. Number two is um, a really interesting. There, there was a that's my dog. There was a really <laughs> interesting statement about um, I have a pit bull like right near my leg here. Nice. So there was a, a really interesting statement one time about Mike Tyson, and this analyst said one thing missing from Tyson's resume when he fought Buster Douglas was the cagey, crafty veteran opponent who had any gas left in his tank, right? He had fought, you know, Larry Holmes, but Larry Holmes was ancient by then. So he hadn't fought, like, how do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with a round not going your way? How do you deal with, um, maybe I'm down. Maybe this is tied. Maybe I'm, you know, those little doubts that that creep up in your mind. I've always told when I was coaching fighters, I said, you want to lose in your first 10 fights. And people looked at me like I was crazy when I said that. I said, mm-hmm. I want a loss. And, and somewhere in your first 10 fights, I want you to lose. And... So I know what I'm dealing with, right? So I know that how you handle a loss is not the end of the world. How you handle losing a round, how you deal with adversity, how you deal with, you know, we don't know anything about that when it comes to Shemaya. We have no idea how he mentally deals with anything going wrong. And 
if you look at like, you know, Ronda Rousey, for example, and somebody asked me why she gets so much hate and criticism, I said, well, as soon as she lost a round, she never won another one. Hmm. Right? Fans don't like that. Fans don't like as soon as the going got tough, you were gone. You were like, screw this. And, you know, like, so it, it's one of those things where she never came back and did anything. We like the Ali story. We like he, you know, loses to Frazier and comes back and beats Foreman and da 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 da. We don't talk about, when we talk about Muhammad Ali, we don't talk about the fights he looked great. We don't talk about Cleveland Williams where he just dusted the guy. We talk about the ones he wasn't supposed to win, right? We don't know how Shemayev deals with the kind of adversity that really makes fighters great. We don't know. He has great skills. He has great ability. I would like to see some adversity in this. I want to see something not go his way and see how he deals with it. Mm. And as we wrap, Jimmy, two guys that don't know much about losing, Paulo Costa and Israel Adesanya, are going to be mix, mixing it up in the octagon. Next weekend at Fight Island, um, as we wrap up, just quickly, your prediction for that one. A lot of people are really excited to see how these guys clash once it gets down to it. I think Israel Adesanya, if, if, if Costa comes at him the way he has come at other fighters, I definitely go with Israel Adesanya. I think that's a counterpuncher's dream. Is a guy like Paulo Costa. Hey, a bit. Remember talking about Biggie? He's a big target. Mm. He swings wide punches. A lot of room for a slick counter striker, which is exactly what Israel Adesanya is. If you're Paulo Costa, if I was coaching for this fight, I go do what ascent essentially Romero did. Make him come to you. Do not initiate. Don't lead. I don't think Costa can fight that way. You know, the the the, the 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 pacing it takes to beat Israel Adesanya, I don't know if Costa has that in his DNA. He's going to go in like the Hulk and try and knock his head off. I think that leads to exactly what Israel Sato wants, which is slick counter-striking. It's always good when you make a fight pick and then somebody like yourself, Jimmy, makes a very similar fight pick. It's very validating. So thank you very much for making us feel good, along with giving us great analysis today, Jimmy. Follow the man on Twitter and Instagram, at Jimmy Smith MMA. Just tons and tons of content coming out there at uh, SiriusXM MMA on Sirius. And check out Unlocking the Cage. It is weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM. Dude, super, super happy for you, man. Congrats again on the, on the big show. And um, love it, man. Thank you so much for your time, Jimmy. I hope I get so big I never have to do your show again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, uh, us too, Still man. Like, submission radio, you guys are great. I'll, I'll, I'll come on. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Jimmy. I'm like, submission radio, who? <laughs> we'll be dealing with your manager what next. Yeah, but that's all right because Marissa loves us. So we'll, we'll see you next month, Jimmy. See you then, buddy. <laughs>